Welcome back to Design Huddle, a podcast for creative professionals looking to level up. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, a UX designer based in New York City, and my co-host, Brendan Gross, a digital strategist for Fortune 500s. This podcast is the intersection of design, business, people, and just possibly the next big idea. We interview designers, thought leaders, co-founders, influencers, and sometimes just our friends from Instagram. If you like design, the internet, or storytelling, this just might be your new favorite podcast. We have a ton of incredible episodes and content coming out soon, so please subscribe. And for now, let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today we have a very special guest. He's a full stack designer and an amazing front end developer. He works at a super cool startup called Hobnob and he's one hell of a design YouTube star. He just recently hits over 70,000 subscribers. So congratulations to him. And he makes videos about design, code, life, and helps creatives make amazing things. Guys, please help us in welcoming the amazing Jesse Showalter. Jesse, Run us, you know, just like we said in the intro, you have done a lot in your career. You are a full stack designer just for, you know, those who maybe, you know, intro to UI, UX, or just our industry. What is a full stack designer in your definition? Uh, yeah, I would call a full stack designer somebody who um, has a wider kind of area of skill sets. So uh, whether that is kind of more like along visual design, graphic design into digital kind of like areas like UI design, UX design. Um, and then maybe also has some skill sets over on maybe a slight, slight amount of skill sets on the development side. So I do, I started out my career as a print, traditional print designer, started learning web design, web development, front end development, and then started picking up kind of just like, like skills along the way. Um, so I kind of, I, I stay in the digital realm of things, but I, I feel like I can kind of reach my hands out to both sides and grab a little bit from, from each world. Which spectrum do you feel more comfortable with? More on the technical side or more towards like the research, you know, wireframing, doing more of the upfront analysis of the user? I feel pretty comfortable like uh, from the research point all the way up to um, like kind of front end development. Um, I, I, I would much, I, I would prefer to hand off um, to like developers. Um, I love the research por research portion. I love like the visual design and UX portion. I like to wireframe. I like to get my hands dirty um, and strategize and try to make sense of problems and come up with solutions. Um, and I like, uh, I, I still like coding. Uh, I still like programming, but I like having the understanding and the vocabulary to really help that handoff process go smoothly with engineering teams and backend teams. So yeah, that's a that's a great topic that um, I believe we hit on a little bit last time. But um, let's let's drill into that a little bit further. So a lot of times when you're a UX designer, you know, you know, even if you're just a graphic designer, sometimes you're handing off a visual mock to a development team that actually is like you know coding it and making your design 
you know, have the motion, the interaction, like the full end to end experience. Right. Can you just share some general best practices of how you can take your concept, your design and actually ensure and help engineering teams successfully implement it? Uh, yeah. Um, I think the first thing I would say is, uh, if you are a designer and you're handing stuff off, wanting those designs to come to life, I think a good idea is to at least research the possibilities of what it is that you're designing. Like, I love Adobe XD. I love Auto Animate. It's fantastic. But you can make some crazy things in, like, using Auto Animate and just shoving those off and expecting and hoping other people to do them. I think that's a bad workflow. I think that's a bad... Uh, I just don't, I think it's a lack of empathy there for who you're handing projects off to. So I'm not saying you have to go out and learn how to do front end development or learn how to animate stuff in JavaScript, but is it within the realm of possibility? That's, I think that's the first thing is kind of empathizing with the people that are on your team. Um, so that would be, that would be like the, one of the biggest steps I would think is thinking of other people as more important than yourself. Um, so, Hey, can I, can I simplify this for you? Can I make your life easier? What kind of documentation do you need from me? Can I over communicate, you know, what my, like what my expectations are for the project. And then also lastly, I'd say, be willing, <laughs> be willing to have somebody say no to you. That's right. Be open to, Hey, that's unnecessary. That's stupid. Don't do that. Or that doesn't meet our timeline. I think, uh, being willing to accept feedback is super duper important. Definitely. I, I What really resonated with me right there was learn the possibilities of what you're actually building. Like you can make the coolest shit. And even on Instagram, I am definitely a uh, one of the sharers of the shit that may or may not be possible currently in the digital realm. No, I see all but, your After Effects posts. They're amazing. <laughs> like some of these people are just doing like amazing like After Effects work and going, this is what it could be. And I'm like, do you know... <laughs> how much time it would take to animate that one thing that looks like soft flesh dripping through a funnel shape. And I'm like, that's not practical or even like practical with my time. Like, come on. Well, that, that's another like really interesting topic, right? It's like um, a cost benefit analysis of does the feature going to add more value to the user versus the cost of, you know, additional engineering resources. So a lot of times if you have a good product manager, they have a product backlog. And a lot of times UXers should be involved with prioritizing features because they're the ones that kind of understand of like, this is critical to the overall user journey versus this is a nice to have. So prioritizing must haves versus nice to haves, I think is one way to think about this. But um, do you have any, any, any like insights on how you would recommend like priori prioritizing features or thinking about the critical user journey and like how you would, you know, go about influencing, uh, even if you don't have the authority to make the decision? Yeah. Um, I always put it like, um, Think about your product or the process like a marriage. Don't think about it like dating, right? Like marriage, the idea of 20, 30, 40 years, that's not sexy. Like there's there is like dirty underwear on the ground. There's like dishes that need to be done. There's trash that needs to be taken out, right? But it, that's not the the um, that crazy idea of dating, which is everything's always going to be perfect, fancy dinners, traveling together, right? So when you take that and think about that, like in a product sense or in a product cycle, it's like, hey, what things absolutely need to happen? You know, dishes need to be done. Trash needs to be taken out. Bills need to be paid. That's not sexy, but that's life, right? And so thinking about it in a realistic, practical way, 
then makes you really appreciate and plan for those date night moments in your product, right? Like, hey, we've we've hit all the we've ticked all the boxes. We are converting users. We are like thinking about their user journey. We're really this is smooth. This is slick. Um, not slick in a sexy sense, but slick as it's getting the stinking job done really good. Hey, maybe we take a second and just do something sexy. Maybe we just throw a little something out there and like have a date night on this product. And that, then that feels good. That feels intentional, right? All of those things start to make sense. Um, that's a stupid metaphor, but that's my metaphor. No, I like, I like that metaphor a lot. And I think it's the, you know, the idea of doing the little things right. And then you can focus on bigger, more impactful things that take more time, I think is awesome. I also think it depends on the maturity of the product or the website you're working on, right? Right. First versions there's too often you're trying to build a Lamborghini when you just need a scooter, right? You're just trying to do like, you know, just to steal minimal viable product. Like you just need something that works and conveys your message and helps sell your product or services or get your brand across. So right. yeah, I love that metaphor. I think it's good. I think most people can relate to that too, whether you're married or not. I think it's easy to follow. And I'm super <laughs> guilty of wanting to build a Lamborghini when all you need is a Vespa. Like I'm totally that person. I think we all are at some <laughs> yeah. point, yeah. like deep down, but at, I don't think it's wrong to immediately think of Lamborghini. I don't think I don't think that's wrong. Like, hey man, I just want I want this to be a Lambo, I want it to be a Ferrari. But if every Lamborghini starts with a frame, every Lamborghini starts with an engine, every, it starts with the basics, right? So like you can have big goals, you can have big audacious dreams, but if you can't be mature enough to go to the foundations of that that idea, well now you're just live you're not living in reality. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you guys are so agreeable. This the podcast is great. Well, I was I was going to debate you on it, but I was like, I literally brought up the point, and then you just made it even better. So I was like, I love <laughs> it. <laughs> so Jess, go ahead. When Brandon. it comes to because so far we've talked about how you know learning the possibilities for designers that's a communication uh, that's a communication skill. Being able to understand you know not even understand, but be able to have the courage and the audacity to go really far and want that Lamborghini and scale back as needed. That's really important. But let now let's talk about like how you got here. You have all these skills now. How can those who are listening, who are trying to get where you are, can we break down basically the essentials that have allowed you skill-wise, whether it be soft skills or hard skills, that have allowed you to get to where you are today? Yeah, and just to, just to piggyback on that, like it would be great if you could also just give us the, you know, how you got, how, what was your first exposure to design? A little pat, like little step by, you know, stepping stones to where you are today, and then maybe like some key learnings along the way. I think that would be a really beneficial way for our listeners to see your process. Sure. Yeah. Um. I mean, I started. Uh, I was working in kitchens, washing dishes, and waiting tables. Where every um, good designer starts. Right. Um. And. Uh, playing a lot of music, playing a lot of music at the time. And uh, when I met my then girlfriend, now wife, um, she was the person who really encouraged me to find something I was passionate about. Um, I was making garbage band flyers at the time, like just really junky stuff, lots of drop shadow, way too much grunge texture on them. Nobody needs that much grunge texture. Um, and I thought, hey, maybe I can do this. I have a, I have a bootleg Filipino copy of Photoshop. <laughs> like, let's go, let's do this. And so I just kept... I said, okay, let's try this. And I just, at that time, I was just reading lots of design blogs and scrolling all the way down to the bottom, seeing the finished product, trying to make it myself, failing really hard, then going all the way back up to the top. And so um, if I could say one thing I, I, I think has followed me throughout my you know, quote unquote career is um, I always want to enter into it thinking, like trying to be teachable, like trying to think, okay, I don't know everything here. Um, I need to learn. 
and I, I've always felt a little bit, I was, I was later on in life. So 24 or so when I started, uh, like doing this, when I started doing design and I, I had people that like, I knew that were 17, 18, like, Oh, I'm going to college for this. I'm like, well, I'm behind the eight ball. So I think that just set a tone in me that said, I need to be open to learn. Um, because I don't know as much as everybody else. You could argue that that has followed me in a imposter syndrome type way throughout my career. It's like just like loomed over me. But I think at the same time, it's been a positive. It's helped me say, you know what? I'm going to go into this really humble and say, teach me, show me. I don't care if you're, if you're 18 or you're 65. I don't care if you are a freshman and just getting your gen eds and like design or you own a design agency. Do you have something you could teach me? I'd be willing to learn. Um, that's probably like one of the biggest things. Yeah. Being teachable, I think is, is awesome. I think the other thing is that if you, some people, designers that are typically teachable are also responsive to feedback. Um, you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you approach feedback, giving feedback and that process as well. I love feedback and I'm really weird in this, in this space. Like I am masochistic, like to the max, like it, I love it when people, run red marker through stuff that I make. I love it when people dissect the things that I say. I love it. I think it's great because it's, for me, I just know it's it's going to help me in the long run. Now, of course, there's always, there's times when people just say stupid stuff for no reason. They're just being hurtful. Okay, I just kind of, I just wash that off. I say, see you later to that stuff. But if you, if I feel like there's even a grain of truth in what you're saying, I love it. I have to be really careful with that because not everyone loves critique and feedback like I do. And I'm a, I have a personality type that wants to always run in and, and fix things and give you answers. So I have to balance that with asking questions and trying to listen to people when I'm giving feedback. Um, but I have found feedback to be one of the most crucial things. Um, I want to be teachable. I want to be hungry. I want to be excited for something, but then I want to be willing to lay it in front of people and go, okay, just, just chisel away at it. And if I need to go back to the drawing board, I will. I'll totally do that. Um, so some tips I would say for taking and giving feedback would be, um, you know, try to be really specific. I, I don't like gen generic or general feedback. I like things that are really drilled down. I even like that if you're giving compliments to people or encouraging somebody. Like when I tell my wife I love her, a lot of times I won't just say I love you. I'll say I love this about you. And I really try to be very specific like specific about the words that I use I'm trying to do that more. I'm not perfect at it, of course, but I think that will take you like that'll 10 X the effectiveness of giving and receiving feedback. Um, but yeah, it's been a huge, it's been a huge part because I, I didn't go to some fancy school. Um, I just, I, I just started making stuff and I got hired and that was super scary. And so I, I had to be really willing to be like, Oh, okay. Yep. What's wrong with it? I'll do it. Well, so what was your first design job? It sounds like you, you kind of did it as a, a side. You were, you were a dishwasher. You got exposure. You got into like, you know, through music, you know, making posters, just getting exposure to general tools. What was like your first design job and how did you like apply? How did you apply for it? Right. So I had, uh, I had an internship at my church. They let me make horrifically ugly things for them, which was great. Thank you so much for that. Um, and then I just kind of like just made a lot of ugly stuff until it was a little less ugly. And then I applied. Were you making like a CMSs? Like, were you on WordPress? Like, how are you making these designs? I was, I was making like slides they would show at Sunday morning church. I was making like just more like a lot of graphical things. Um, nice. That's how it kind of started. And then 
I totally, you know, not, I wouldn't say lied, but I, I exaggerated my portfolio a little bit from like to apply for my first position. And I got hired at, uh, I was still living in Hawaii at the time. I got hired at a tour company and they needed an in-house print designer. Um, and I said, I could totally do that. Totally could not do that. But I just like, I went for it. <laughs> Um, 99% confidence, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 1% skill or understanding <laughs> of anything. 99% confidence. Um, Love that. They hired me and I just started going to town. Everything was just like, cause it's in Hawaii and it's a tour company. Everything had lots of papyrus and, you know, like floral stuff on it. Everything had a tour bus slapped on it. It was atrocious. It was bad. Somewhere along the lines, they started asking me to make websites. Uh, and I, I would show you guys later. I'll send you a link. Uh, I think some of the first websites I ever made are still online, built in Dreamweaver with tables. They still have those same websites up. Uh, <laughs> so that's how I started. And I think it was just, I really honestly look back and I think it was a lucky stretch of people allowing me to try. Um, whether it be an internship or low paying first gig, people just went, yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll hire you. Um, and I think that, I was, that was probably really scary to, to put myself out there and, and say, hey, I'm, I, I think I should get paid now. But again, if I didn't have people in my life pushing me and going, what do you have to lose? The only, the only thing you have to lose is that tomorrow you won't be washing dishes. I'm like, oh, that's true. That's not, yeah, I guess I'll just try. So um, that's where I started. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah. No, that, that I, like, I just like seeing the, the, like, the, you know, the spark of design to like when you were actually getting paid to do, you know, what you love or, you know, your first exposure to it. And I think that story is like very relatable where you're not just going to walk into, you know, a fortune 500 company as a, the head of UX design. It takes a lot of years, a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of side projects, you know, and a lot of listening and learning and watching YouTube videos until you figure it out. But, um, yeah, I just, I like the, I like the transparency there where you were just like, yeah, I didn't just <laughs> get to where I am. Like, you know, from day one, it takes some time. So I think patience is another theme in there, but I love the underlying idea of just make the most of the opportunity. If someone says like, give me a design within these specs, hit a home run, make it 150% and make them make your skill and your design so valuable that they're always going to come back to you when they have another job for you. Right. I was, I think I was learning a lot. Like after I left that tour company, I freelanced for a few years, um, which was when I say feast or famine, I mean like a lot of famine, um, during that time <laughs> of my life. Um, but I was learning not only like the technical side of things, but then also how do you, how do I treat this as a business? How do I talk to clients? How do I think of it uh, less like art and more like firm deadlines and, and how, how do I just think of it like, like a career, you know? So that helped me a lot. And so I, I freelanced for a few years. And by the time I got to my next position, I got hired at a marketing and design agency. Um, I had a better grasp of not just the technical things I needed, but all kind of what Brandon was saying, the soft skills involved as well of kind of walking this career out. So um, again, like, said a lot of dumb things, delivered a lot of bad projects, got yelled at by a couple clients, you know, but at like, and that was just young, stupid. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna, like you said, a lot of confidence. Hey, yeah, I could do that. Um, it did. It, it, and it always seemed like no matter what I had learned or was able to do, somebody was always asking me to do something else that I didn't know. And so I would go, yeah, I could do that too. Let me, let me add it. Like, uh, build a CMS from scratch. Yeah, let me add it. I could do that. Buy a book on PHP and just start reading and figuring things out. 
Um, yeah, I got that. So it was just wow. like always figuring things out. So let, let's, because we just talked about a topic that we said we weren't going to talk. Well, not we didn't say we weren't going to, but it's totally off topic, but I like it. Let's talk about, because I it really resonated with me because it was the same. We basically had the same uh, like early period where I had to do a whole bunch of, I had a lot of opportunities where I had, you know, ways to practice. So for context, how long did it take you for those listening? <clears throat> how long did it take you from going from, you know, not really being paid? You're working with your church. Yeah, you're, you're basically just finding these, pra- these projects to practice. How long did it take you from like you started to practice to finally landing uh, that Hawaii tours job? Right. Uh, I would say like a solid year where I was like eating, breathing, sleeping design. And when I say like first job, I mean like low paying. So <laughs> it was like a year of that's all I did. Like I, I did nothing but that. And when I wasn't doing that as an internship, I was going home and trying other things out like by myself, just a year straight of it. Um, until, until I got, somebody was able to hand me even the, the slightest bit of money. Quick, quick, quick rabbit hole. Where in Hawaii did you live? I lived on Oahu, like right in Honolulu, and I was there for like 16 years. I think you're our first Hawaiian on, on Design Huddle, which is pretty cool. It's sad. They took my Hawaii driver's license when I got to Texas, and so I am, oh, I'm a Texan get that now, back. which is, yeah, I know. It's brutal. I was Wait, like, was it, isn't that a Hawaiian uh, license from, uh, was that Superbad with uh, McLovin? Yeah, yeah. It's just like uh, a famous, a famous, I just love that. It's got the rainbow, right? It's got the rainbow on it. It was awesome. It's great. I still got my license plate, so that's nice. But the Hawaii design scene was really interesting. Like because it's the island, the a lot of local work that you'll get will be very, very niche and like culturally kind of like uh like um related. So there is a lot of people pushing for things to look like Hawaii. The funny thing is like as as a designer there, you're trying to push people to stand out by not looking like like just Hawaii, right? Like, Hey, I want you to look like something more than just a local brand, or I want your website to represent something more than just like it, it'll still relate here. So that was a tricky challenge early on. I felt like it was like the challenge that most people have trying to figure out a brand or trying to design for a, a client or a customer. They're so stuck in this mindset. Yes, but it has to, it has to look like Hawaii. And so it's hard to um, twofold, like convince them otherwise. And then like, that's the first part of it. And then the other part grow creatively also, because everyone's always trying to like shove you into this one kind of pattern or box. What, and just the, the last piece on the Hawaii. And I, just because I think where you live and where you get your first job really influences how you approach, you know, your career and your work-life balance. Any part of like living in and working in Hawaii that you kind of take with you and that really kind of changed the way you view your work and your life in general? Yeah. So in Hawaii, uh, <laughs> it's called like Aloha Spirit, um, right? Which is like the idea of, um, you know, people really care. They're really hands-on. They're really Ohana, family-oriented. Um, and so I've, I've brought that with me. Like clients that I would meet uh, or, or work with, especially during like the freelancing years, um, it was always face-to-face meetings. They never, ever wanted to phone call. They always wanted to meet. They wanted to eat and like break bread together, like while talking about work. And so that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. I, you know, when I, when I've worked on like freelance projects or side projects before in the past, you know, it has to be a lot of, you know, phone calls or video chat, but um, I love, I'll, I'll call people. Like I'll, I'll talk to them. Like I ask them clients, 
and try to get like really like ingrained in their life so they know that I care because that's just something that's been ingrained in me. Uh, if I can, I want to meet face to face. If I can, I want to bring that personal touch because it's just been proven to me to be a good experience with a customer or with a client. So another piece that also resonated was the a lot of confidence piece. Again, when we're when you have to be able to sell yourself when you've never been in the actual industry, you have yet to you're making the transition of you've done the practice and now you're trying to get into and be paid uh, by an actual company to do what you've been practicing. I know the a lot of people say exaggeration, but it's really and 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 we I think we all can agree with this. It's a I can attitude. You're not lying. You're saying these are my capabilities and you already know that you have the aptitude to do what you say you're going to do. I think that's what a lot of people um, and, and why I, I want to bring this up for those of you guys listening is I feel like and you guys can chime in on this, too. I feel like a lot of people or designers or creatives are really scared to sell themselves or even oversell themselves because they believe they have in their own like cap. I mean, what do you, what is your take on that, Jess? Do you do you see the same thing with you know the people that you talk to in the industry? You know, own personal thoughts. I think you have to. I think you have to be confident as well as realistic. I think you have to know your limitations. Um, one thing I'm struggling with, especially like right now, is knowing my time limitations. Right. So um, I know how long it takes me to do something for the most part. I know how long it takes me to pump out a landing page design or. Um, you know, like coming up with a strategy for like a brand. I know how long roughly that's going to take me. Um, but the word that's really dangerous in my vocabulary is and. Um, so I get, I love what I do. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'll say, yeah, I can do that and that and that. And I've had to really try to learn how to replace the word and with or because I only have so much time. I can either do that or I can do that or. And really guarding my time because it's probably true for a lot of us. Um, we get excited about it. We don't realize how easy it is for it to creep up on us and start overwhelming us. And then it becomes unhealthy. And it's never good to make something that you really love and you're passionate about unhealthy. And so um, I just think being realistic about your own limitations. Like, are you good on deadlines? Or are you not good on deadlines? Like, are you good at learning new things in like a fast-paced environment? Or are you not? I feel like everybody reads uh, job applications that say self-starter and they go, yeah, all of us are self-starters, right? That's not true. Not everyone's a freaking self-starter. <laughs> not everybody has good communication skills. Not everybody likes to do client-facing stuff. So if you are an introvert that just hates meeting new people and, and talking a lot and selling, why would you, why would you put yourself in a client-facing place? That seems like, an, like, that seems like a limitation to me. Maybe you can overcome if you want to but it would probably be smarter to back off of those things. So I just think being realistic about your capabilities, but also being willing to challenge yourself, push yourself a little bit. I was at the same time, I always like to shoot just a little bit outside of, of my comfort level, just enough to stretch myself. But if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, Hey Jesse, can you build us from the ground up? Um, you know, an iOS application, I'm going to go, oh, no, I'm not even going to try. I don't, I don't even, I could probably, I could put some screens together for you. I could help you strategize a little bit. You know, I could do a little user research and pump out some like interface stuff. I'm not even going to walk into that place of trying to, I'm not even installing Xcode on my machine. Sorry, bro. It's not happening. 
I mean, setting, I think setting limitations is something that's very difficult because we want to take on everything, but you know, UX design, you know, creative professionals, there's a combination of always wanting to learn more, but also becoming an expert at some of the, uh, some of the things you touched on, right? Like being like, is it being a master of, um, what is it? The, there's like a cliche. It's like the master Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that, that's like basically what you're getting at. And I think that, you know, focusing actually and setting limitations is like such a good piece of advice that I think everyone should kind of think about. And I think the other thing that you mentioned that's interesting is that, you know, knowing yourself, like knowing yourself and what, what energizes you and what you're good at. Like if you like talking to people, then yeah, put yourself in a client facing role and like put yourself out there. And, but if, but if you're not, if that's not something that like energizes you or you don't, you know, you you hate public speaking, there's plenty of other roles out there that you're going to be able to find. You're going to crush because of your leaning on skills that you're more comfortable with. So I think it's also understanding, you know, what you want from a job and then really trying to fill in. Like if you're like, we talked about this in the beginning, if you're teachable and you're willing to learn, sure. Like, let me work under, under Jesse for a while. And he can teach me how to be better at client facing. Sure. He can teach me how to like, you know, you know, set up a meeting and, you know, run a strategy session. So I, I love that. I think that's, that's a really, really good takeaway for everyone listening. I just think life is too short to have your energy and your passion zapped, right? Uh, and we, we work in an industry that allows you, it really does. It's so forgiving. It's so encouraging to say, do you like hand lettering? Does everything else but hand lettering zap your your energy and your thought, then just do hand lettering. Just be like Ian Barnard, who just makes his living and his life around hand lettering. Do you love CSS? Okay. Be like Chris Coyier and just make CSSTricks.com and talk about CSS 24 hours out of the day. You can do that. Anybody who says like, well, I just need to do it all. I need to do these 10 things and nine of them just zap the love and passion out of my life. That's stupid. Life's too short. You don't need to do that. It's been proven. I want to get into uh, a topic that I'm a lot about in regards to this conversation, but let's talk about your personal brand real quick. My, we, like we said, my man, Jesse has 80,000 boys and girls, men and women on his YouTube channel. This man is out here pimping design left and right. So Jesse pimping design makes it sound so cheap, you know, doesn't it? <laughs> he's a, you know, he's like, Jesse's like a, he's like a connoisseur. You Pimps come to the table and he gives too, you the okay? finest they, designs. All right. Let me shut my mouth before I go any further on that one. <laughs> We're sitting on leather couches, drinking scotch as he's educating me on, on design strategy. I think pimps are, are connoisseurs. I'll, I'll, I'll take that title for myself. All right. Okay. So has your personal brand opened up doors that, wouldn't be open otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, putting some time and some effort into my personal brand, you know, or even just like, I guess my personal brand is really just, I've tried to make it as much as I can just about trying to offer value to people who were just like me, you know, uh, over a decade ago, looking to start, looking to get going, looking for some encouragement, looking for some technical skills. And so I've tried to just make it all about that. I just want to just help you, love on you, encourage you, support you. And it has at the same time, it wasn't, it was actually unexpected and not planned, but it has opened some doors. Like I got, I got to go be a part of Adobe live, uh, like earlier this year. Um, I'm going to be on like a one day, uh, like digital, uh, conference with Chris Doe and like 
Melinda Livesley and like, and you, Brandon, and like some other people, like I get to be on this podcast talking to you guys about design pimps. Like so much has happened. <laughs> We're like, changing the <laughs> podcast name, Ryan. I like it. Hi, welcome to design pimps. As, uh, as Ryan shudders his eyes. I might, I might have to, I might have to, I might have to veto that. I might have to veto that. But, but it has, it has opened some doors and it has, I mean, it's, it's humbling. It like, these are people who I look up to, who I'm like, I'm, my knees are going to be shaking when I'm in the same digital room with them. I'm going, how, what was, how am I here? Why is this, ha like, how is this happening? Um, and I still don't, for the life of me, I don't understand it, but uh, it's definitely cool. It's definitely a fun side effect of it. Would you recommend other designers build a personal brand too? I think there's a divide or a misunderstanding as to what building a presence online does for you. I feel like there's one side where they're like, oh, that's just me taking selfies and that's just somebody who doesn't understand the impact of what a personal brand can do. I, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? I know right. you're, you've been in the, you, you see the landscape just as much as, as we do. What, what are your thoughts on, on this? My, my thoughts about uh, personal brands are like doing anything else in life. If you do it for the right reasons, you're going to get the right things back. You're going to get the right things out of it. You do it for the wrong reasons and you're going to burn out. You're going to hate it. Um, and like I said earlier, you're going to be zapped. Like your energy, your passion is going to be zapped out of it. So I started the whole thing out a little bit over two years ago. Hey, I'm just going to start making YouTube videos. I, I think that's something I'd like to do. And it started out more like an exercise in consistency because I realized one day that I'm a fairly inconsistent person. I like to start things and not finish them. So, you know, I... I talked to my wife and said, Hey, I think I want to do this. And she looked me in the eyes and said, do it for two years. And I will, will clear the space for you to do that in hopes that it benefits you and makes you a more consistent person. All right. Challenge accepted. Let's make one to two videos a week for the next two years and grind on that and see how that goes. What I'm getting out of that is I am a more consistent person than I was two years ago, but at the same time, I'm also a more focused person on the things that really matter to me. Right. So like, I want to help people. I want to encourage people. I want to bring value to people. Um, you have to per put a certain level of time and effort and dedication to be valuable to people. Um, I have made, I mean, let's be honest. We all have off days. I've made some videos that are lazy. I've put out some content that sucks, but, and, and I've learned from those and said, don't do those anymore. Don't cheapen your mission. That's about life more than it is about attention. So I think if you do, if you, if you establish a personal brand for the right reasons, you can get the right things out of them. If you say, I want to be an influencer, I want to be popular. I want to be well-known. I want to make money. You're going to just burn. It's going to suck. You're going to hate it. Yeah. I, I, that's, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, Jesse, real quick, just because there is a lot of people that are on the personal brand front, building out YouTube channels, mm -hmm. any best practices for people that are getting started or ways to grow your channel? Like it doesn't yeah. have to be anything. I just think that that's a very common question that um, I don't have a channel, but I think, you know, we get asked a lot. Yeah. I, uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, rightly so we'll talk about gear or they'll talk about strategies or they'll talk about analytics and all that stuff. But honestly, it comes down to just starting um, and not making excuses. So especially as creators, as creative people, a lot of times we could be perfectionists and we say, well, that wasn't good enough. Delete that. Ah, that wasn't good enough. Just, I'm not going to put that out, but you have to put out a lot of bad stuff before you put out the good stuff. And if you wait around nothing, you'll never put anything out. And so I would say, start today, start yesterday 
Um, don't sit around and wait for the right situations, you know? So, um, if I sat around and waited for the right situation to propose to my wife, I wouldn't be 10 years happily married, like loving, loving my married life. Right. So you sit around, you miss out. That's, that's the biggest advice I have. Cause all, honestly, if you, all you have is a phone to film yourself on, start with your phone. If you yeah. if the sound quality is horrible, whatever, just start with horrible sound quality, but the rest of that can progress. But you starting can't unless you start. Yeah, I mean, we like that. Literally, is the exact philosophy of why I chose the medium of a podcast versus YouTube. I knew my limitations. I knew that I did not have as much time. Right. But I also knew that you know, you know, when Brendan, and I also like you know, love having Brendan as a co-host because then you have someone to keep you to hold you accountable. Sure. When you have your own YouTube channel, you have to have the you know, the, you know, the self-awareness to hold yourself accountable, which is a lot of times much more difficult than letting out someone else down. But, um, yeah, I, I love that. And I think like the biggest thing, like from the biggest piece of advice, whether it's starting an Instagram channel from scratch, a podcast, a YouTube channel is just start, don't be crippled by perfection, you know, start making, creating, it'll energize you do it for yourself. You don't need to do it for your audience. If it's good content that you're passionate about, your audience will come. Exactly. Um, Brendan, I know we're close on time. Any, anything else that you wanted to touch on before we, before we jump? Uh, that's it, man. I really, you know, just a second on that. I really love how you basically your YouTube channel and just, that was to help build a habit, you know, cause I get, I love when we talk about habits and just being consistent because I like myself, I don't feel like I'm th- the only superpower I have is the ability to, you know, just do mundane things every day. I just set my calendars at the time when I got to do it. And because of that consistency, it helps me move forward. So I always want to, you know, just echo what Jess said and, you know, just practice, stay consistent, build habits in that system that allow you to move forward each and every day. But also, just like we talked about on our last podcast and like Jess mentioned here, don't kill yourself. Set in time to actually relax. Do what energizes you. Don't do things for the wrong reasons. Remember, guys, and these are like my final words. And really what I got out of it, if you wait around, you'll miss out on opportunities. Life is too short. Don't do things that zap your energy. Do what energizes you. Remember, that is life. Other than that, thank you, Jess, so much. Ryan, thank you for giving us your time. Again, we had all three. We had all design, not design bros. That's like our... No, design pimps. Design pimps out. There design, we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's our. Yeah, that's we'll, the tr- we'll, we'll ju- Jesse, before we before we go, where do you want everyone to uh, follow you on social channels? I'm assuming just your name everywhere. Yeah, just my name everywhere. Best place would be like youtube.com slash Jesse Showalter. Jesse better have, you know, he's at right below 80. He better have 100K by the time this goes live on Monday. That's all I got to say. <laughs> He'll be there. It'll be awesome. Because everyone knows the Design Huddle podcast is just such an influential design <laughs> for hey, the, it's it's fun it's yeah, awesome to be a part of i'll tell you yeah, that yeah that's that's good well thanks th- thanks anyways for coming on we really appreciate it we'll have to get you back on the show soon absolutely thank you guys all right take it all easy right. design huddle is a podcast that is hosted by ryan warner and brendan gross the opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode